0: At the very beginning, Luo Gan put in a lot of effort in the persecution, for he saw a chance to please Zhang, and to use suppression of Falun Gong as his ticket to membership in the elite elusive Politburo. Eventually, Zhang did put him in the standing committee of the Politburo. Back in May of 1999, when the persecution of Falun Gong was still in its preparative stage, Zhang and Luo, on one occasion, planed a chilling special action, through the local police. Plain cloth police and infiltrators spread the words to Falun Gong adherents, there would be a large gathering in Shengshan. Along with this, army troops were dispatched to Shangshan, and armed riot police were positioned there in hiding. Falun Gong practitioners were meant to be lured to Shangshan, where they would be murdered. Zhang would then have ground to label Falun Gong an evil cult, collective suicide or failed suicide. And efforts to frame and suppress the group could expand with ease. But as it turned out not a single Falun Gong practitioner went to Shengshan. Three times between May 1 and September 9, police and plaincloth police changed the gathering date they passed on to Falun Gong practitioners, hoping for better results. Nothing came out of the ploy. In the end, they had to plan their own phony shows of self-immolation, suicide, and murders. Since there was no real evidence, Luo Gong put his focus on the falsification of it. At the beginning of 1999, He ordered his followers in the Public Security Bureau to manufacture fake evidence and frame Falun Gong. But officials at the Public Security Bureau complained, since there wasn't enough time to manufacture evidence, the public security personnel had no answers, when suspicions aroused about their works, so their works were impeded to a certain degree. For example, people who personally received Qi Gong medical treatment from the founder of Falun Gong and were healed their ailments, were hard to convert. Thus the officials had to use the methods of imprisonment, and limiting such person's freedom, to prevent the truth of Falun Gong from quickly spreading. Jingjuan Yi was a general engineer at Handan Steel Company, and a former Falun Gong practitioner. Jianjin police threatened him with life in prison or secret execution, and forced him to deny the incredible phenomena he experienced practicing Falun Gong. The old man gave in, and was sentenced for eight years. The falsified interview was aired in many regions through various state-controlled media outlets. The CCP made Jing's statement out to be evidence that Falun Gong was pseudoscience. Hao Feng happened to see all of this from outside the interview room. He couldn't help but blurt out loud to the reporter, Isn't this a lie though? Afterward, Hao was locked up for more than 20 days in an isolation cell, with the temperature below freezing and no heat. He later exposed the phony interview in Australia. After the attacks of September 11, 2001 in New York, counterterrorism concerns became the priority in the West. When Zhang saw that the West was keen on fighting terrorism, he reasoned that if he could brand these groups he didn't like, such as Falun Gong as terrorist organizations, his quashing of them would jive with the Western world. Who could oppose him then? Falun Gong practitioners by that time were sending large quantities of informational mailings throughout China exposing Jiang's unlawful suppression including the self-immolation incident. This was perhaps Jiang's biggest headache, and so he hoped that by linking Falun Gong with things terrorists, he might in effect stop the information mailings. Soon after 9-11, an anthrax scare occurred in the U.S. when powder-contained the deadly virus was sent via the postal mail. Jiang figured that an opportunity had arrived. Thus on October 18 of the same year, a spokesperson for China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Sun Yi Si claimed at a press briefing that two days ago, two envelopes had been mailed to China that were suspected of containing anthrax. And the envelopes were Falun Gong informational materials. The CCP's overseas mouthpiece, Hong Kong based newspaper, Ming Bao, was the first to cover the alleged anthrax mailing. Ming Bao had nearly 50 years of history in Hong Kong and had established distribution outlets in Canada and both the east and west coasts of the U.S. As soon as Mingbao's report came out, overseas media immediately ran articles, asking the rhetorical question that if the anthrax was sent inside Falun Gong booklet, then isn't it obvious that this was the work of someone who wanted to frame Falun Gong? And who other than the CCP would do something so foolish and shameful? Since Sun Yisi's remarks didn't match up well with what Luo Gan wanted, things quickly turned embarrassing. On October 23rd, The Public Security Bureau had to announce that after investigation, the two suspected envelopes did not contain anthrax. Overseas printed media and online news quickly accused the CCP of using the underhanded means of the supposed anthrax-tainted mail to frame up Falun Gong. Sun Si received a stern warning from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, for he had misspoken and could not remedy things in time, thus incurring negative consequences in terms of foreign relations. Later. When Afghanistan was still much of a war zone, Sun was sent there as ambassador, the persecution began in China, overseas Falun Gong practitioners started appeal and rescue campaigns. In September 2000, during the World Summit, some 2,000 Falun Gong practitioners from around the world came to New York, quote unquote, to welcome, Jiang Zemin. They wore yellow t-shirts with the word Falun to follow them, and could be seen everywhere on New York streets. Falun Gong's large-scale activities started on September 5th. On that day they had many practitioners gathered to do the exercises, and then distributed flyers in about six or seven different places, besides the Waldorf Hotel, where Jiang stayed, and other symbolic places. They also went three different Chinatowns, where many Chinese people live. At noon on September 6, more than a thousand practitioners started an eight-block-long march, which called for an end to the persecution of Falun Gong, along 3rd Avenue heading north towards United Nations Dag Hold Plaza. Since the persecution began over a year ago, this was the biggest march they had. A practitioner, wearing a yellow T-shirt, was unexpectedly running into the mayor of New York City, Mr. Giuliani. Looking at the shirt which reads, China, stop persecuting Falun Gong, the mayor told the person, you are doing the right thing. Zhang dreaded Falun Gong demonstrations, and employed all the means he could think of to avoid Falun Gong followers. Zhang tried to pressure the New York police into disallowing people to wear any yellow t-shirt in some place. However, even so, Zhang was startled many times by seeing peaceful and sincere Falun Gong followers. At noon on September 8, as Zhang was about to leave Waldorf Hotel, a practitioner walked within one meter of Zhang and shouted to him, "'Please release all Falun Gong practitioners!' All the reporters and Chinese personnel who were present heard the voice. Jian's face turned pale. One of his arms raised spontaneously, and his body started to shake uncontrollably. Still badly shaken up, Zhang, at his motorcade first turn, caught sight of Falun Gong adherents, lifting a banner high up towards Jiang's face. On the banner was English words in big letters, Practice Falun Gong is a rite. After reading the banner Zhang jerked backward fiercely and trembled all over. Someone inside the car looked at the banner, and then hurried to lower his eyes. On September 9th, Falun Gong practitioners had learned that Zhang was about to leave New York. They started doing their exercise on the other side of the street. Some were holding posters that reads, Stop persecuting Falun Gong, goodness brings good rewards, and evil brings evil, to let their voices be heard. The Chinese mission officials employed diversionary tactics, and arranged for the motorcade to started from the front door to distract the practitioners, while Zhang slipped away out the side gate. However, unexpectedly, When his car had just started to drive out, Zhang ran into four Falun Gong practitioners, holding a banner that says in shiny letters, Falun to Fa. When the car turned onto 1st Avenue and 35th Street, the scene of Falun Gong practitioners holding posters and doing the exercise once more appeared right in Jiang's view. It seemed Zhang just couldn't escape Falun Gong's presence. On November 20, 2001, 36 Falun Gong practitioners of American and European descent from fifteen different countries converged on Tiananmen Square. They unfurled a large banner, on which emblazoned three words in both English and Chinese—truth, compassion, tolerance, zhen, shan, ren. The purpose of their trip was to make a plea to China's leaders, and seek an end to the violence and terror they have waged against Falun Gong. "'It's the most powerful and most solemn event I have ever witnessed in my life,' said the group's designated photographer Joel Chipka. What I saw was over thirty people simply trying to express themselves." Another participant later described, "'Within a minute, police cars rode in and had surrounded us. The practitioners who were protesting were beaten, arrested and dragged off by police. They came from fifteen countries. The way they set it up was quite simple. The message went, at exactly 2 p.m., on November 20th, we'll meditate together south of the flagpole on Tiananmen Square." One practitioner said, we wanted the Chinese people to know that Falun Gong is being practiced all around the world, and that persecuting it is not acceptable. We wanted the Chinese people to know that practitioners from all over the world have come to help, and to explain that Jiang's government is lying to them." Jiang at the time had been hoping to use the self-immolation to smear Falun Gong throughout the world, the protest lasted for only one minute before police arrived. However, the endeavor stirred persons all around the globe, Major media quickly did arrange interviews and reports on the group and its participants, whose heroic deed sparked a round of news and stories, detailing the CCP's suppression of Falun Gong. Jiang's dream of demonizing Falun Gong around the globe was shuttered. Jiang Zemin became scared. He scared that the people of China might ask many questions. The government says, Falun Gong isn't welcomed outside China or even banned, so how come these foreigners practice Falun Gong? The government says Falun Gong endangers society and harms human beings, so why aren't the Western nations concerned about this threat? Why is Falun Gong attractive to people of other races, and cultures? Soon, Jiang Zemin ordered all the persecution campaigns were carried out behind curtains. In August 2000, Zhu coming from Hong Kong and Wang Jia from Beijing, after searching for relevant legal provisions of Chinese law, drafted and mailed a petition letter to the Supreme People's Procuratorate in Beijing, accusing Zhang Zemin, Luo Gan, and Zheng King Hong of banning and suppressing Falun Gong illegally. This became the first lawsuit against Zhang. After the Procuratorate received the letter, the defendants, Zhang Zemin, and Luo Gan were flustered and exasperated, and immediately ordered a mass hunt, as if this was a major incident. Two weeks after the letter was mailed, the two plaintiffs were arrested in Beijing. After Zhu Keming and Wang Jia were arrested on September 7, there was no further news about them. Zhang and Luo Gan had nothing to interrogate them about, but determined only to vent their spite. Therefore, the police officers didn't bother to interrogate them, but instead beat and tortured them. However, Both of them were resolute and steadfast, and rather die than surrender. Since Wang Jia was a Chinese citizen, he was subjected to even more horrible tortures and abuses. In November 2000, due to the horrible torture, Wang Jia had to be treated in hospital for seven days. He was released on bail for medical treatment and awaited trial. At that time, Wang Jia was completely disoriented. His body weight had gone down from 70 to 50 kilograms. He had lost control of his bowel and bladder and needed dialysis every other day. When Wang Jia was hospitalized the police officers kept watching on him in the hospital every day. His health never improved and he didn't speak a word during that time. Afterward, the police allowed his family to bring him back home to be treated with traditional Chinese medicine. After Wang Jia was brought back home, his symptoms were resolving, however, he still couldn't move his body not mention walk. When his family members asked what kind of suffering he underwent while in police custody, he didn't answer, but his eyes were filled with tears. In late April 2001, Wang Jia was brought overseas with the help of some very kind people. On May 2nd, some Falun Gong practitioners discovered that Wang Jia displayed symptoms of losing memory, breathing difficulties, and extreme muscle weakness. To maintain breathing during sleep at night he needed to slowly remove his underpants to relieve the pressure of the elastic band against his waist. One day, Wang Jia suddenly started to talk, saying, "'I have experienced all kinds of tortures.' Wang said that one of the means of torture the police often used was to wrap a person up with a layer of something before beating him violently. That way, the wounds would not be visible." Wang Jia's skin around his ankles had been worn through to the bone, from having been shackled for so long. Wang said, "'The most painful moment was when the police officers need me in the kidneys.' I fell into a coma for one month. But he was never afraid. In his final days, Wang developed night sweat and hematemesis. Sometimes, after eating one or two mouthfuls of food, he would violently vomit blood. On midnight of June 18, 2001, Wang Jia fell to the floor in the restroom and never rose again. He was 38 years old at the time. In April 2001, Zhu Ke Ming's family members were notified that Zhu was secretly sentenced to five years' imprisonment, and transferred to Chadian prison in Tianjin City. To force him renouncing Falun Gong, the police there electrocuted and tortured him. Due to the tortures, Zhu lost two-third of his teeth. However, Zhu stuck with his belief and never compromised. He not only refused to be brainwashed and transformed, but also wrote appeal letters every month. Prison authorities never sent the appeal letters written by Ju to their designated offices. Starting in August 2001, Falun Gong practitioners in Hong Kong and America made many efforts to call for the release of Ju Keming, who was a Hong Kong resident. Overseas media, such as Associated Press, BBC, Agence France Press, Apple Daily and so on, had reported on this story. After being released, Ju Keming continued his effort to stop the CCP's persecution of Falun Gong. His persecution of Falun Gong, Jiang Zemin completely violated Chinese laws, and violated international conventions as well. In October 2002, when Jiang was visiting Chicago, Falun Gong practitioners successfully delivered of a summons to him and started a lawsuit against him. Besides, a group of regular folks launched a network to try Jiang in a philosophical sense. People rallied in public places to perform mock trials of Jiang. On September 30, 2003, the Global Coalition to Bring Jiang to Justice held a press conference to announce its establishment. It's a jointly-initiated and sponsored organization by more than 80 groups and individuals, from Europe, the Americas, Asia, and Australia. Besides Jiang, his followers were also sued in other countries, among them were Luo Gan, Zhou Yongkang, Liu Jing, Li Lanqing, Qing, Hong, Qinghong, Bo Xilai and others. Some had been sued more than ten times. Zhao Jifai, Former deputy director of Hubei Province Police Department, Liu Qi, former mayor of Beijing, and Xiaodirin, former deputy governor of Liaoning Province, were declared as guilty as charged in different lawsuits. They were charged with torture, genocide, anti humanity, and other violations of human rights. Pan Sinchun, former deputy council general in Toronto, was charged due to publishing a letter in a local English newspaper attacking Joel Chipka, a businessman and Falun Gong volunteer spokesman. Pan was found guilty of libel by the Ontario Superior Court. He had fled Canada and is hiding in China. Su Rong, former party secretary of Gansu province, was charged with murder, torture, and humiliation of Falun Gong practitioners during his visit to Zambia. Then he was charged with contempt of court because he failed to appear in court as ordered. Faced with an arrest warrant, Su Rong was running across the border and hiding in Zimbabwe for almost 10 days. He then escaped to South Africa and flew back to China. Afterward, he said he would not easily be persuaded to travel overseas again. On July 19, 2004, Chen Jili, the former Minister of Education and a member of the State Council, during a visit to Tanzania was charged with torturing and killing Falun Gong followers and maltreatment within the Chinese education system, and had to make a mandatory court appearance on that day. In March 2003, Fa Wang Hui, Hui a persecution-monitoring organization, submitted to the United Nations documents related to the Chinese government's persecution of Falun Gong, which totaled more than 4,000 pages. The documents listed more than 11,610 office officials, police officers and other persons involved in the persecution. It also goes over the details of their crimes. In January of 2003, an international human rights organization called the World's Organization to investigate the persecution of Falun Gong, was established in the United States. The organization devoted itself to investigate all individuals and organizations possibly involved in persecuting Falun Gong, and collect evidence about the persecution. It also coordinates closely with each local government and related international agencies. It hopes to carry out comprehensive and historical trials of the criminals responsible for the persecution. In September of 2003, the Canadian Fon de Fa Association submitted documents to Canada's program on crimes against humanity and war crimes. This file documented evidence of crimes against Falun Gong that were committed by 15 high-level Chinese officials, which later increased to 45, including Jiang Zemin. Any persons on the list would be investigated if attempting entering Canada. On March 9, 2004, a human rights supporters organization, called Friends of Falun Gong, and the World Organization to investigate the persecution of Falun Gong, submitted to the U.S. government a list of names of 102 party chiefs responsible for persecuting Falun Gong, including Jiang Zemin, Luo Gan, Liu Jing, Zhou Yongkang, Li Lanqing, Wang Mao Lin and so on, and requested the American government to forbid them from entering America. Currently, there were numerous lawsuits in many countries against Zhang and his followers who persecute Falun Gong, holding the CCP officials responsible for what they have done. The international community had claimed that lawsuits of this magnitude have not been seen since the Nuremberg trials of Nazi criminals. Some CCP officials began thinking about ways out for themselves. They have privately collected and compiled documents to prove that they were forced to carry out the orders by the 610 office. Some higher-level 610 offices had ordered to urgently take back all documents and materials related to the persecution of Falun Gong since the illegal suppression started in 1999. Jiang's friends and allies have begun abandoning his campaign against Falun Gong, and the campaign is heading down to a dead end. Jiang is faced with inescapable nets above and snares below, which verifies an old Chinese saying, those who are unjust, are doomed for destruction. In 2006, Epic Time newspaper had a mystic visitor. Her name is Annie. Her ex-husband was an outstanding surgeon at a hospital called Sujiatin Blood Center in Shenyang, China. To redeem his crimes, Annie revealed a shocking secret, and later she mustered up the courage and accepted public interviews by major media reporters. In 2001, the hospital's party leader appointed her husband to take part in secret operations of harvesting organs from live Falun Gong prisoners. He was in charge of harvesting corneas. In the short period of two years, he completed almost 2,000 operations. The hospital didn't want to cause suspicion. They hardly use any anesthetics in the operations. After the organs were harvested, the Falun Gong practitioners still alive, were sent to an incinerator to be cremated. It's a horrible and appalling scene. The workers at the incinerator were poor people, but got rich by looting the victim's personal belongings. Annie's husband wrote in his diary, once in an operation, he saw the victim had a fallen amulet that says, Happy Birthday, Mom. All the doctors who involved in the organ harvesting were constantly having nightmares. To escape the mental stress, some got drank, others went to whoring, he couldn't stand the stress. Annie found him seem always disoriented, or in a daze, and night sweating. Finally, he told her the truth about his murderous job. Annie was shocked beyond belief. And told him he just could not use the scalpel to be a surgeon anymore. To leave the CCP's intimidation and evil behind, they emigrated to Canada. After the exposure of organ harvesting in Sujiatun, there came more related shocking news. A veteran military doctor in China revealed that as far as he knew, there are at least 36 death camps such as the one at Sujiatun. Even at the ordinary labor camps, harvesting organs from the Falun Gong practitioners are taking place, According to many Falun Gong practitioners' recalls, after they were sent to the labor camps, they all were forced go through blood testings, therefore, unknowingly became part of China's illegal live human reserve for organ harvesting. Since 1999, the numbers of organ transplantations have been increasing exponentially. The annual numbers are far greater than the numbers of death penalties published by the CCP regime. On April 20, 2006, President Bush met with China's leader, Hu Jintao. The world's focus was on the affairs of China. While at McPherson Square, not far from the White House, Falun Gong practitioners had a news conference. Annie and another witness, Peter, appeared in public for the first time, risking their lives to give public testimonies that a large-scale evil crime of selling and harvesting organs from live Falun Gong practitioners are taking place in China. Since the persecution of Falun Gong, heretical incidents had kept happening in China. On February 26, 2006, at Tiansu County's Dawanku, in Gansu Province, a shepherd stumbled upon a herd of human skulls, 121 in total. These people were victimized not long ago, for their facial muscles were still visible. Their temples were sawed off at the ears. Their facial expressions were horror-stricken and in agony. The Public Security Department, and the CCP's press, tried in vain to cover it up. First, they said these were monkey skulls but could not explain the mustache and the dental implants found on the skulls. Besides, the jaws are typically human, not like monkeys. Soon the public security department received orders from their superiors to stop investigating the case. In the meantime, there was information passing around that the head of the CCP, Jiang Zemin, loves to eat tonic made from human brains. And he was never running out of such nutrition. Besides, CCP's bosses started to consume human brains a long time ago. In the past, the CCP exported revolution to various countries. When the local people awaken, the evidence of crimes was discovered. For example, a human brain extracting machine was part of the exhibit in the Communist Death Camp Museum in Cambodia. It was used to serve the Cambodian Communist High officials and was learned from their Chinese Communist teachers. In August 1999, German Nazi descendant, Hagen's and a Chinese named Suai Hongjin, Registered Von Hagen's Plastination Limited. Visitors to the factory are not allowed to photograph the face of the corpses. They admitted that all the bodies were from China. To avoid the bodies being recognized by family members, all the body skins were peeled off after the plastination. Among these corpses are young people, including eight-month pregnant women. Some still show agony and facial expression. They display these corpses all around the world to make money. Because of its violation of human rights, naturally, the show causes controversy and draws criticism from international human rights organizations. People suspect that among these bodies many are Falun Gong practitioners killed in police custody. As matter of fact, right from the start when the CCP rose in revolution, the so-called Red Army period, the local party officials utilizing all kinds of torture to punish the enemies of the revolution, including skinning alive, excavating heart, boiling, and decapitating. They even cooked the victims' organs and flesh into various dishes and ate them. After the evil CCP came to power, in each political campaign, they organized even more large-scale tortures and killings. In Guangxi province there organized large-scale cannibalistic incidents. The officials who organized such incidents are still at large today, enjoying their promotions and wealth. The CCP has been harvesting live organs for a long time. Even so-called prisoners of the death penalty, were not dead yet before their organs were taken away. In the Cultural Revolution, the stories of Lin Zhao and other anti-revolutionary prisoners, being robbed of their kidneys, were household tales in China. The CCP has utilized all of the means of evil and terror in history, to persecute Falun Gong, and manifesting itself as a new form of evil, unseen in this planet. If history could serve as a reference, all the truth will win out under the sun. Jiang Zemin and his cliques in the CCP will face the final judgment. Justice will be done.